Almighty God, we come before you this evening only by your grace, trusting only in the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we might come close to you, our mighty God. As we come to your word now by your Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? Would you soften those hearts that we might receive this word? That we might submit ourselves to you, our Lord and King? And would you shape our hearts by your Spirit that we might live lives pleasing to you? Lives that bring glory to your Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, please do uh, take a seat and uh, please keep your Bibles open at Exodus chapter 19. Seven weeks ago, on the 15th of December, in Somerset, this enormous metal dome was lifted more than 40 metres into the air. It weighs 245 tonnes and is wider than the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral. It took the world's biggest crane, Big Carl, an hour and a half to lift the dome into position. And work could only begin once they were completely sure that the wind conditions were perfect. It was a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of expense. But it was important that they got it right. You see, this dome sits on top of a steel cylinder that is itself encased in a thick wall of concrete. The dome itself will be covered with concrete in the coming months. And later this year, inside that steel cylinder, the first of two nuclear reactors will be installed at Hinkley Point C power station. Once up and running, those reactors are expected to provide enough energy to power six million homes for about 60 years. It is a phenomenal amount of energy. And yet we realize, don't we, we realize that that extraordinary power the immense potential of, of nuclear energy, well, it comes with risks. It comes with danger. Without boundaries, without consideration and care, those two nuclear reactors have the potential to wipe out those six million homes, to make Somerset uninhabitable for many more than 60 years. And so, Big Carl was brought in to lift a vast steel dome over the top of an enormous containment cylinder encased in thick concrete. We can only live with the power of nuclear energy. We can only enjoy its benefits if we take the right precautions, if we properly respect the immense power that we're dealing with, if we realize the danger of such a power.
And if you've been with us in the 7 p.m. last term, then you'll know that we've been working through the book of Exodus in our sermon series. And you'll know that throughout the first half of that book, we have seen Yahweh, the God of the Bible, reveal himself to the people of ancient Egypt, to the people of of ancient Israel, and to the people of the nations around about them. He has revealed himself by his activity here in this, his creation. He has brought the Hebrew people out of slavery in the land of Egypt. He has overcome the might of Pharaoh and his armies. And he has shown us just what kind of God he is. And what we've seen is is that he is a God of immense power, of total sovereignty, of extraordinary might, completely holy, perfectly righteous, wonderfully good and incomparably great. There is no power like him in this universe. No king, no army, no idol, no nation, nothing even comes close to the power of our God, the power of Yahweh. That's what we've seen in in the text of the book of Exodus, and it's what the ancient Israelites saw as they lived out the events of the Exodus. And then, in verse 9 of our passage this evening, well, then we read these words. The Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, I am going to come to you. The Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, I am going to come to you. Just let that sink in for a moment. The Lord, Yahweh, God, this God was going to come to Moses. The God that they had seen strike against Pharaoh and the ancient Egyptians, turning the Nile to blood, striking down the firstborn in every family. The God who'd parted the sea so that they might cross and who'd brought the waters crashing back over the Egyptian chariots and their drivers. The God they'd seen strike the Amalekites at Rephidim, declaring that he would completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. That God, awesome in power, majestic in holiness, that God was going to come to them. Now, this wasn't the first time God had met with Moses or the people. But those previous meetings, well, well, they gave little comfort. Remember the burning bush, the, the pillars of cloud and fire? Now, there's no question, meeting with this God, encountering Yahweh, is dangerous. His power, his might, his holiness, to meet with this God is a seriously risky business. And so, serious precautions are required. Verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes. And be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down to Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. 
Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. You know, all that concrete and steel, well, it still doesn't make the nuclear reactor safe to approach. As workers go in day by day for maintenance, they must prepare individually to draw near to that incredible power source. Full body protection, multiple pairs of gloves. Then, through an airlock, they may enter into the reactor room. But they cannot stay too long. The power of that radioactive source is simply too great for them to be around it for too long. And so as the ancient Israelites prepare for the coming of Yahweh, so they too must take precautions. Not because he's radioactive, he's not, but because he's holy. White, hot holiness. Holiness that necessitates physical distance. They must stay away from the mountain where he is, not even touching the foot of it but also personal preparation, washing, abstaining from sex. Not because sex is unholy, but because these days of preparation are to be set apart. They are to be different. The people themselves are to be set apart, consecrated, given fully to preparing themselves to meet their God. They are to have eyes only for him, no one else. Because that's where the analogy with a nuclear reactor breaks down. You see, Yahweh is undoubtedly massively powerful, awesomely holy, dangerously perfect. And yet he is also a he. He is personal. Not some some distant force or a, a mysterious energy. No, he is personal, relatable knowable. The ancient Israelites were to make themselves ready to meet their God because he wanted them. He wanted them. That's the bit we didn't read at the start of our passage. Let's let's turn there now and see why this approach of the awesome, powerful, holy God was even happening in the first place. Verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Friends, this is stunning. 
that awesome, powerful, holy God has chosen a people, a people of his very own, a people to be his treasured possession. You see, our our awesome, powerful, holy God is also a personal, relational, knowable God. And he desires to be known, to have a people with whom he relates, not just as creator and Lord, but also as saviour and father. You've seen what I'm like, he says, what I did to the Egyptians and, and how I saved you. Now, now come to me. Know me. Be my people. And yet, of course, there's a problem, isn't there? These people, the ancient Israelites, just just like any other people, just like the ancient Egyptians, just like you and like me, these people are a sinful people. Where Yahweh is, is holy and good and righteous, well, they, we, are sinful and self-serving and rebellious. We and they, we're not deserving of a relationship with this magnificent God. And what's more, even if we wanted to, we we simply couldn't stand in his presence. His perfect white hot holiness cannot tolerate sin. It cannot tolerate sinners. I wonder, did you notice twice later in our passage, God warns the people not to get too close or he will break out against them. That's not because he he might fly into an unpredictable fit of rage. No, rather, it's because this is the entirely predictable response of a truly holy God when he encounters sinful people. It's not that he might respond to sin with judgment. It's that he will. It's part and parcel of who he is. Righteous and holy, perfect and good, he cannot, he will not tolerate anything that falls short of his perfection. So there's an issue here, isn't there? This God, Yahweh, the the supreme, holy, righteous Lord, this God, has chosen for himself a people to be his treasured possession, but they are a sinful people. And so the rest of the book of Exodus essentially is a handbook to overcoming that obstacle, to making that relationship possible. How can a holy God be in the presence of unholy people? How can he love and and cherish and care for them? How can they know him as saviour and father? Do you know, we would do well to remember in the weeks to come as as we encounter rules and laws and and principles, we would do well to remember that, that these regulations are rooted in relationship. Rooted in, in a relationship that already exists. Yahweh has already carried them on eagles' wings. And brought them to himself. 
regulations that are rooted in, in Yahweh's desire to sustain and deepen that relationship. He longs for this people to know him, to love him, to worship him. And he, in turn, will, will love them, cherish them, treasure them. Although the whole earth is his, they will be for him a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The laws he is about to give them make that relationship possible. They will shape them into that people, into the people of that God, the people of Yahweh. For now, though, let's get back to the base of the mountain. The people have, have been consecrated. They're ready. They're waiting. The awesome God most high is about to come to them. And as I read the, the next few verses, let me invite you to close your eyes, to picture the scene, to imagine what it must have been like to be amongst the Israelites that day. That day when Yahweh came. Let me read on from verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Oh, what a spectacle. This is God come close. The awesome, almighty, all-creating God descending with thunder and lightning. Surrounded by fire, shaking the earth. If the ancient Israelites hadn't appreciated his magnificent holiness before, well, they certainly did now. And remember, it is this God who has declared his intention to make this people his people, his treasured possession, his kingdom of priests, his holy nation. But even after two days of consecration, of purifying, even so, there's no way they can get any closer. The terrifying descent of the Lord has made that clear. As Moses says in, in verse 23, the people cannot come up on Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. And so how are they to hear God's words? How will they ever know the, the kind of relationship he spoke of back in verse 5? Well, it becomes clear that, that the people will relate to God through an intermediary, 
through a mediator. One who will hear his words and will relay them to the people. One who will stand before God, a representative of the people. One who will meet with God on behalf of the people. That is Moses' role. I wonder if you notice just how many times he goes up and down the mountain in these verses. It's almost comical in verse 20. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down. But that's the role of a mediator. He's a go-between. He goes up the mountain to speak with God. He comes down the mountain to proclaim God's word to the people. And then he goes back up again to hear more. That'll be the pattern for, for much of the rest of the book of Exodus. God's heart for his people communicated through his chosen mediator, Moses. There can be no other way for a sinful, unholy people to meet with the majestic holiness that is Yahweh. At least, not if they hope to live to tell the tale. And so as our passage this evening draws to a close, the people of ancient Israel stand poised, ready to hear what Yahweh has to say to them. His chosen mediator, Moses, stands between God and people, ready to lay out the pattern for their ongoing relationship, ready to spell out just how a sinful people may enjoy a loving relationship with a holy God, ready to show how the awesome God most high will shape and mold this stubborn and rebellious people into his treasured possession, his kingdom of priests, his holy nation. And in the weeks to come, we will hear those words, that plan, that pattern. But for now, I'd like us to realize what Exodus 19 has to say to us today. You see, in many ways, little has changed. Our God is still this God. Yahweh is still Yahweh. The same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is still awesomely holy, dangerously righteous, utterly pure. He still cannot tolerate sin. And friends, we, well, we are still sinful, still stained by our own rebellion and by the tragic consequences of the rebellion of those before us and of those around us. We are still a people wholly unworthy to come before this magnificent God. And so as we read here of, of those ancient Israelites standing in awe as Yahweh descended in fire and smoke, as thunder rumbled and lightning flashed all around, as trumpets blasted and the earth itself trembled as its maker stepped into his creation. I think we would be right to feel something of the trepidation they undoubtedly did. Something of the fear of this awesome power. 
over which we have no control. A mighty God who will do what he will do. A holy God who will respond to sin with righteous judgment. Yahweh's holiness has not dimmed in the centuries between then and now. And neither has our sin become any less serious. And yet, and yet, uh, there is one thing that has changed. One vital detail which transforms our experience of this great God today. One beautiful reality that has fundamentally changed the equation. Friends, our mediator is not Moses. I don't know if you noticed as we read our passage this evening, but, but even Moses can only get so close to Yahweh. Yes, he, he can touch the mountain. He can even ascend the mountain without feeling the full force of God's righteous wrath. But he can still only encounter God veiled in a thick cloud. Yes, Moses can hear Yahweh's voice, but he cannot see his face. Moses, the mediator, was not enough. Indeed, he was merely the first in a long line of mediocre mediators. He would be followed by other leaders, even kings, each standing between God and his people. The descendants of his brother Aaron would serve for generations to come as priests before the Lord. But none of them brought lasting peace between Yahweh and mankind. None of them decisively dealt with our sin problem. None of them truly opened the way that we might know our God and be known by him. That we might be the people he desired, his treasured possession. No. No, friends, that would have to wait. That would have to wait for a better mediator a greater Moses, a mediator who in the very core of his being brought together in one person, God and humanity. A mediator who was himself this mighty, magnificent, holy God and who was himself the perfect representative of all mankind. One who obeyed God fully and kept his covenant. That mediator is Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, God came to his people. Not in lightning and thunder, not in fire and smoke, but in flesh and blood. And in Jesus Christ, we may come to God still in awe, still in reverence, but with confidence. No longer afraid that he will break out against us because we come hidden in Christ. Imputed with his righteousness. Cleansed once for all from our sin. 
consecrated through his sacrifice, ready to be shaped into the people he would have us be, his treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, chosen and purchased, redeemed and brought out of slavery so that we might be his. The writer of the letter of Hebrews puts it like this. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Friends, from Abel onwards, the blood of those killed at the hands of sinful men has cried out for justice. And for generation after generation, mediator after mediator, sacrifice after sacrifice, their cry went on unanswered. Only growing louder with each passing year. But now, now the blood of Christ spilled on the cross declares not only justice for the murdered, but, oh, glory of glories, also forgiveness for the murderer. What a magnificent mediator. And so, dear friends, let us come to our God. Let us come to this God, for he is still Yahweh. Still mighty creator and majestic Lord. Let us come therefore with, with right reverence and fear. He is not safe. He cannot be tamed or contained. But let us come through Jesus Christ, the better mediator, the greater Moses. Let us come with great joy. And with awestruck wonder that we, we, still a sinful people in need of consecration, that we might come and know our God and be his people. Let us come rejoicing that, that no longer do we need to go to a mountain or to wash our clothes before we approach. No, now through our mediator, Jesus Christ, we may meet this God in the pages of Scripture, in the assembly of his people, 
in the beautiful gifts of, of baptism and communion. And in the quiet submission of a broken and contrite heart. Let us put our trust in our mediator, Jesus Christ. And let us hear this evening our holy God declare that now, because he has obeyed me fully and kept my covenant, now out of all nations, you, the church, will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, what a wonder that you would come to us. What a wonder that you would come to us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. What a wonder that you yourself would mediate a new and better covenant. Oh Lord, teach us tonight by your Holy Spirit. Humble us before you, our great and glorious holy God. And lead us to rejoice in our kind and compassionate Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would live our lives constantly before your throne through his blood, trusting in his sacrifice, his mediation, his obedience, knowing in our hearts by your spirit that we are your treasured possession. Make that a reality in our lives, we pray. In the name of our magnificent mediator, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.